Um, hello, everybody. The first person I see is Mr. Zinn. What's up, my man? Um, okay, you guys. So I'm excited about this open line call. Uh, I am currently working, by the way, I guess I should start with, I'm, I'm Hunter Mark Ward. For those of you that don't know me, um, I've been a, a, a core coach for eight years now. So I've been in the program for 10 years. I've been a coach for eight, and uh, it's been a great run. So crazy time right now. Uh, obviously, I am at my home office because I just got done visiting the great Rick Ruby and Core HQ, uh, which was super fun. If you have never, I'm embarrassed to say this because Rick and I are, I would say we're pretty darn good friends. I've never been to headquarters and uh, I have to say it is an unbelievable experience because he does in fact practice everything he preaches and tells us that he does and it it, uh, it runs like a machine back there. So um, <clears throat> very cool experience, but that's why I'm at my house. So excited about the topic today. I kind of thought about it. Jonathan actually came into the, the room while I was back there and said, what do you want to talk about? And just with everything that I've got going on right now um, on client expectations, issues, we're obviously dealing with uh, unprecedented volume levels right now, and um, it's crazy. So I thought it would be a great idea to talk about a combination of client expectations uh, as well as conflict uh, resolution with clients and, and quite frankly with anyone for that matter. So, um, but I do need a favor uh, for this call. And one, you can ask questions by putting questions into the chat box. Uh, and then I'll also just open it up for questions. These things when you're doing them, it's so much better when there is interaction. So I don't have, you better hope I don't have, you know, 60 minutes of content to just spew at you. Um, so I do want Q&A, uh, a lot of it, if that's okay. I'll just start calling on you guys if you don't uh, talk. But um, let me just jump in by, uh, you know, why I'm thinking this subject is important right now. Um, all of us are dealing with, you either have, you know, more than likely you don't have enough employees, uh, more than likely you have more leads than you can handle. And I, I mean, I hope that's the case for everybody. And you are dealing with, you know, Rick's analogy, which is my favorite, is you have a restaurant that serves 50 people and you've got 200 people trying to get into that restaurant to eat a meal. So how do we go about setting expectations with our clients, um, how do we set expectations with our business partners? Uh, and honestly, how do we set expectations with our team members? I think, uh, you know, for me, the level of importance so that you don't have people, you don't have employees running out the door is we have to take care of our employees first. We have to take care of our business partners second. And I think we need to take care of our clients third. Um, if you get the first one right, the likelihood of your business partners and your clients having a much better experience anyway goes up when your employees don't feel like you care about them, when you're working them 60 hours a week, when you're just trying to throw money at them, um, they're going to get frustrated. So part of this for me is very challenging tactics uh, that, that I work on with my team so that we are fully understanding with what clients we are working on and why we are working on them. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you all about is a form that I've talked about the last, I talked about it at the last summit with Oleg, um, but it's something that's really changed the way my team and I operate because it helps us understand what we are dealing with upfront with our business partners and our clients. And what I mean by that is I was coaching a student two semesters ago, and I asked him what his conversion ratio was for lead to application. And he very proudly said that his lead to application was like 80%. Um, and then I asked what his overall closing ratio was, and his overall closing ratio was 11%. So what I gather from something like that is we're sending a bunch of crap into the system. 
right? It's so easy for us on the lead intake. And I know we all do things a little different, but hopefully in general, we do things uh, similar. And when you think about lead intake, we need to take a little more time to understand who that lead is, what that lead is all about, what they're trying to accomplish. Are they our ideal client? Were they referred by our ideal business partner? Because what we don't want to do is end up with a restaurant with a bunch of the wrong people eating inside of it and a bunch of people on the outside that we really wanted on the inside. So one of the, let me see if I can get this dialed in. I, I created a form, um, a couple of, uh, it's probably been four years now. I created a form called LP2 Notes, and it's a document. The way that I work is I want to talk. I've got a bunch of things going on like you guys all do, I'm sure. I want to talk to a lead for 15 to 15. Rick would tell me with all that I have on my plate right now, 15 minutes. He would say it should be 30 minutes. But inside of that period of time, I am doing everything I can to capture the lead. Um, again, going back to something that we've always talked about in the core and Rick getting super frustrated with us as coaches, which is where did we get so off track that we weren't responsible for converting our own leads? And if you have someone on your team, their hourly rate doesn't make them more or less important as an individual. But if my hourly rate is a thousand bucks an hour and my team members rate is 20 bucks an hour and I get paid to convert people to work with us, then I should probably be willing to have a 15 to 30 minute conversation with a lead up front to determine whether or not, one, we want to work with them, two, do everything in our power to convert them to want to work with us. I'd rather have them want to work with us and then we have the choice as to whether or not we accept them as opposed to my, you know, a poor team member trying to convert all these leads, not completely knowing what they're doing. So, LP2 notes came about with me being able to take information in on these clients in a very quick period of time. Most of the time, if we can get them on Zoom right now, we'll get them on Zoom. If I can get them on the phone, I'm getting them on the phone. But, like, when I get off of – I'll just show you guys so you can see this. Well, if you look at my calendar after we hang up, it's literally I have a 1.30, a 2, a 2.30, a 3, a 3.30, and a 4. So I have – six lead conversion calls immediately following this that Bridget books for me. When I'm done with those calls, this is what I am. This is where, bear with me, folks. Zoom. Share. Uh, Microsoft. See if this works. That's not the right one. Sorry, you guys. Because I'm self-quarantined, I'm also working with my very little computer trying to figure this stuff out. So just bear with me one second here. Does anybody want to go off of mute and make some joke or something? How about Mr. Zinn? Mr. Zinn, ask me a question while I'm doing this. Uh, question. <laughs> any, 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 any question. Any question. All right. How much Chuck would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? That would only come from a man of your background. Okay, you guys, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to share the screen right now because I'm not going to keep doing this. But what I am going to do is I'm just going to read you some of my – I'm going to read you off my LP2 notes, which is the first thing is literally, I want you to imagine this document. I want you to imagine however your team is set up. If it's you taking this lead, fine. If it's someone else on your team, I guess I'm okay with it. The only other person on my team that would do this is my team captain because she's the second highest paid person on the team, which also makes her the second most capable of converting a lead for us. So, and I want you to imagine the concept that I learned from Lisa Wells, which is, is great, which is peek around the corner. What are we doing to set our team members up for success to uh, put them in a position where they can run, take the ball and run with it? And one of 
your, at least my team members, one of the things that always frustrated them the most with me is that I don't set them up for success. I don't give them all the information. So when they're talking to a client, they might be using the name Rich instead of Richard. They might be, think they're W2 when they own their own business. They might be, you know, whatever it is. So here's my, here's what my LP2 notes look like. Client name is number one. Pretty simple. The referral source, right? So who is the referral source? How do they know the referral source and are they shopping our business partner? So when I'm talking to a client, I want you to hear what this sounds like is it's a, uh, you know, John, really excited to be talking to you. How did you meet Amy, right? We've talked about all this a thousand times, you guys. Um, you know, I just met Amy in an open house. Okay, so are you talking to other realtors? Are you committed to Amy at this point? No, no, no. I met with her. My wife and I met with her. She's absolutely fantastic. We're going, we're going to be sticking with Amy. Perfect. Or the answer is, yeah, we're actually talking to four other realtors or we're looking in three different markets and, you know, I'll deal with Amy if we're buying an Alameda. I'll deal with someone else if we're going somewhere else. Meantime, I'm typing these notes. I'm literally writing these notes down. Next question for me is personality type. <clears throat> so I am literally trying to understand in the back of my head, is this a client that I want to work with? Do I like them? Um, are they are they jackasses? Are they super cool? Um, not that what they do for a living makes them who they are, but an engineer works differently than a school teacher, um, a commercial real estate person. It's funny, all my friends are in commercial real estate, and they're all jackasses, and I can't stand working with them. So when someone tells me they're commercial real estate, I automatically get a little nervous. Um, but I'm trying to understand what is their personality type? What are they looking for? Am I going to get along with them? Uh, my next question is, are they a first-time homebuyer? Uh, and that is, you know, literally, have you been through this before, right? Have you been through this process before? Not only have you been through this before, if you haven't been through it before, am I the first person that you're talking to, right? I'm getting a sense. I'm always going to get the sense and the feedback from these people of, uh, yes, you are the first person we're talking to. We're talking to three other lenders um, after the fact, right? We're, we're, so I'm getting intel or it literally could be, no, I talked to Renee. She knows, uh, she knows we know we've known Renee for five years. She told us to talk to you. We don't need to look any further based on her recommendation. Okay. I now have a good understanding of what I'm doing. All of this is happening inside of five minutes. Um, range of the purchase price that you're thinking about. Um, you know, John, let me, let me help, help me understand. It's my job to help you figure out what you can afford and what you can buy. But are there any numbers that you're just thinking about off the top of your head, right? In our market, are you looking at 500? Are you looking at a million? And then on top of that, what are you thinking for the down payment? Just so I'm getting a general idea of what they are, you know, literally, are they, are they trying to put 3% down? Are they putting 10% down, 20% down? They're going to get a gift. Uh, all of this information is coming at me so that I'm just getting educated on what they're trying to do. What does their income look like? That's the next question, income. So uh, so what do you do for work, right? Are you a, I get to understand, are they W-2'd? Are they commissioned? Are they bonused? In our market, is it restricted stock units, which is a big thing in Silicon Valley, to understand how I'm going to look at their income? Are they self-employed? Are they retired? I'm getting all of this intel in this very short period of time. Um, are, do I have concerns? The next question is, do I have concerns on qualifying, right? Someone's telling me about, you know, they just started a job. They just started commission. Uh, they've got a base salary of a hundred thousand dollars, but their commission puts them at two fifty, and they started six months ago. I know that that is going to be an issue. Keep in mind, you guys, the alternative, someone just threw them a loan application. The loan application gets uploaded and the income shows two fifty. And then you get all the documentation and it doesn't work. So I'm trying to eliminate all of that. Um, what are their priorities? This is the next question. And by the way, I'll get you the, the, the team has these notes. What are their priorities around lifestyle, schools, reason for buying, right? We talk about it allows me to open up to them to say, hey, you're, you're, you're buying. You're moving out of San Francisco. You're moving out of this area. You're moving out of your condo. What's going on with you, right? I'm getting, you know, I just got married. I'm having kids or, um, you know, my, my, it's not my favorite one, but one, you know, great story was someone coming over here because of the school system. Uh, they had a special needs uh, child and the school system uh, needed, had the school for them. Uh, so you just, you end up engaging in conversations that are far outside of just numbers by understanding more about why they're trying to do what they're trying to do. So areas that they're looking in, 
right? I want to know whether or not they're looking in San Francisco or Alameda, just these different markets in our area, because my business partner that referred them to me probably doesn't want to sign up for showing properties in San Francisco when they're based out of Walnut Creek, as an example. Um, what are the follow-up steps? So based on my conversation with this person, I'm able to determine are we going down the path of a loan application? Are we going to go down the path of, um, well, primarily that is the next step, right? It's, it basically means this phone conversation or Zoom call followed by if I thought it went well, if they thought that it went well, then it would move into a loan application that they would fill out online. I will fully admit I'm just committed to that at this point. We push people online for the application. They can upload all the documentation securely into our portal. Then my team and I will pre-approve it based on the numbers that we've talked about in this conversation, and then we'll have one more follow-up call to go through the pre-approval, which my team captain usually handles those phone calls. So that's what the that's what our process looks like. That's what I walk them through. Um, my, my, the, there's three more questions, emotional state or specific needs, right? So emotional state, are these people crazy, right? It goes back to the personality type. Are they super happy? Are they engaged? Are they selling because they're getting divorced and they're miserable, right? It just, it allows me to get a read on who they are. What's the urgency? So John, you're going to be buying here soon. Um, or you want to buy soon. What is the timing? Are you thinking about, are you thinking about, uh, that you want to buy in the spring? Are you going to be trying to make offers this week? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? Um, and then any other important information that I need to have. So thanks for listening to all that. Um, by the time you have that information, by the time I have that information, do you think I have a better understanding from an expectation standpoint if this is a client that I want to work with, right? And the answer is yes, I have a much better understanding. I can tell you right now, like, how do they know the referral source and they shop, are they shopping our business partner? That question. I will say to somebody, John, thank you so much. You know, are you working with anyone? Have you talked to anyone else outside of Dana? By the way, what did Dana tell you about us? Right. Dana didn't tell me anything about you. She gave me three names. You were the first one I called. Okay, great. So I know as I'm setting my own expectations because I only have 50 spots in this restaurant, what I'm doing is figuring out where these people are going to fit into the restaurant. Um, someone that is trying to honestly, someone that's self-employed with, you know, 20 different businesses and they're a little bit annoying. Uh, they're going to have to be referred by my best business partner for me to get them into the restaurant. Um, someone that is a, um, someone that wants to look in the spring, right? They want to look in the spring. That conversation turns into, John, super excited for you. I want to get going on all of this. The pre-approval process is going to take a few weeks with you looking in the spring. Everything looks good now, but the process will be a few weeks because if, if everything is urgent, which is what we choose to, which is which we typically do, if everything's urgent, then nothing's urgent, right? I'm sure you've heard that before, but I want you to think about a couple different things with what these LP2 notes do. First of all, when I get this information to my LP2s and they're looking at the pre-approval, they now have a full understanding of what we're trying to do for one. Two, it allows, when I give this information to a business partner, it's the biggest game-changing document I've ever had. If you, I have my students fill this out and then they send it to the business partner for the first time and they, they're like, what is this document that you're just, that you're giving me? Um, so, but more than anything, it allows us to analyze and prioritize the people that are coming into our restaurant, the people that we're doing business with. So when we're setting expectations, I want you to think about it. If you're an LP2 or an LP1 for that matter, and if you're that student that I had that had a 80 or 90% conversion ratios on, on uh, lead to app, and then you're one of the poor LP1s or LP2s that's got the 10% conversion ratio from that point forward to close, how excited are you about a new lead that comes in the door, right? My team knows when they get handed a LP2 notes and we're moving forward with that person, that the likelihood of that closing is good because I've determined that it's someone that we want to work with. If it's, you have to keep your LP2s motivated. I think about it like this. Best way for us to think about it as salespeople, if you're a Zillow person and you get a 1,000 Zillow leads, 
how excited are you? You're really excited on day one. When you find out that your conversion ratio is 1%, how excited are you about that phone call that you get to make for the hundreds of Zillow leads that you're getting? Our teams feel the same way. So when we can set expectations that what we're delivering to them is good stuff, they're going to be more motivated to take care of our clients, which obviously then leads to more uh, higher conversion ratios, which makes everybody happy. So, um, so I want, I would push everybody to use LP2 notes. Um, I'm going to stop for a second and I'm going to go to questions. So let me go back here. Okay. Go ahead. Which one are you on now? I'm doing the Hunter Marquick core call. <laughs> Hunter, I have a quick question for you. Yeah. So your That's process, what? hey, Hunter, by the way, <laughs> your process is, so Bridget will reach out. So the lead comes over, the realtor either emails them or texts you or however you get the lead. Bridget is usually the first contact to schedule them, put them on your calendar first. Or do you just try, You do you have um, designated times? where you try to reach out to the lead and just see if you can get them? Uh, Bridget will more than likely, so let's all agree to, and I'm always just going to be completely, like we always want our leads to come in the perfect way, right? The truth is they come in by text, they come in by email, they come in by calling my cell phone sometimes, right. they come in by calling the office line. The number one goal for me is always to get it off. If it comes to me directly, Bridget's in my email, so Bridget will respond as me, or she will say, this is Bridget, I'm Hunter's assistant, he's in meetings, and I'm on his email, he's going to be very excited to talk to you, are you available today at 1 o'clock? So, like, the afternoons for me, because the way my personality works, if I don't have things scheduled in the afternoon, I probably won't work, I'm better off, in the, I'm, I'm an early bird, so she'll schedule those appointments just like they are today, um, and then she'll on the on the calendar, if they did give us like if it came in by email, she'll she'll copy and paste the email that came in so that I have an understanding of you know if they put notes of hey we were referred by Amy we're super excited we heard great things about you uh, we're trying to buy and trying to make an offer in the next five days then I know going into that call that it's urgent if it's you know if bottom line is it just allows me more in the more info that I have going into the call the better. So, yes, Bridget is always scheduling the call. I'm not allowed to touch my calendar. And I very rarely will automatically – I just don't have the bandwidth to automatically just reach out to a lead and call it within a few minutes. So, does that help? That helps. That's perfect. Okay. Another question? Hunter, one of the questions in the chat is from Ryan Skaggs. He said, do you ask a specific open-ended question to get your DISC assessment? Uh, that's a great question, and I don't. All of these, I don't want to say I wing these calls, but I do, I have a general idea. It's why I have that framework of those of those questions. Based on the conversation is how I go about it, right? Like if I'm talking to someone and they tell me that they were referred by Dana and they give me the feedback that, you know, they're talking to a few other lenders, and I honestly don't like them. Um, I will very quickly jump into, especially right now with, with the bandwidth that we have, I would quickly run into the mindset of, uh, Hey John, there's no point. Like my job, my number one priority is to take care of Dana and to take care of Dana's clients. And if that ends up meaning we work together, fantastic. If it just means that I'm a source, like for this conversation, that's great too. I would not suggest that you go through three pre-approvals. There's no point. So if you want to tell me what they're offering you, I'm happy to look at it. You don't lock until you go into contract anyway, so you got to be a little careful. But if there's any, if I can just be a, a resource for you, that's fine too. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not gauging, you know, are they a D, C, I, S. I'm just going like, do I like these people and do I want to continue down this path with them or not? That's that's the primary idea for me understanding their personality. Hey, Hunter, can you hear me okay? Yep. Hey, it's Brian. So my secondary question is, I always ask, what is driving this purchase? Do you have a uh, same question? Do you have a specific question that you ask for the what's driving or to get them to a specific answer there? Yeah, so that – Or do you that, still kind of same answer for you there? 
you know, where you kind of leave it open-ended and just try to use context and color? Yeah, it, it, I, I would say I'm more context and color, but it is, it, it does have to do with my question of what, like if you, you'll see this, they'll send it out to everybody. If you, if you want it, just send it in, just ask them the question, they'll send it out to you. But it's what are their priorities around lifestyle? So that, that, that's the one that makes me go, you know, why are you buying, right? This might be an open-ended question, Steve, but what are your, it helps me understand sometimes, what are your priorities? What are you looking for? Why are you buying? Um, so that's how that would sound. But yeah, it's not, I'm not like you say this, I say that. I'm always, I, I, I like the conversation to just go with the flow. And I think anytime we're trying to be overly scripted, I think it sounds yeah. that way. Yeah, I, I struggle with that where I want to get the right answer out of them, but I don't want to sound like a robot in doing it. So, Yeah, totally. And and I, I always preface it. Whenever I'm asking a question, I, I like to explain why I'm asking the question. So it's not just, so it doesn't just feel so automated. So, yeah, I mean, th that question would sound like, um, you know, again, hey, Steve, there's I'm trying to give you a bunch of different varieties. Steve, why are you moving out to Lafayette? Right. Steve, what are the I mean, you are you guys starting a family? What are what are the priorities on? Obviously, it's a great investment for real estate. But are there any other thoughts that you have going into buying? Right. You just like and for me, it just it ends up any time that I'm I look at this initial call as the ability to create rapport and to differentiate myself. I think of it as you'll hear me say all the time, like, what are we doing to uncommoditize ourselves? And to me, this detailed conversation is what allows you to uncommoditize yourself. And it also allows me to be able to say to my business partners, as busy as I am and my team and all this stuff and all my competitors trying to sell on, you don't talk to Hunter. It's like, no, they all do talk to Hunter, right? So that's the, and if I, by the way, if I can, you know, if it's not going well, I'm trying to get off that call in 10 minutes, right? So, um, but if it is going well, I mean, our conversion ratios are through the roof since I started doing this. I basically, Kevin Polakovich told me a few years ago, he's like, Hunter, why, I had two really good guys. So I don't want to, in case they're ever listening to this. I, um, but I had two junior guys that weren't that good. And, you know, Kevin said to me one time, he's like, Hunter, why wouldn't you put your best foot forward on the conversion? And it just, it, it made all the sense in the world to me. And since doing it, I just, I feel like I've got a better handle on my business. Um, and honestly, it's, I actually enjoy it. Like I thought I was tired of doing loans. And now that I'm doing this and getting out of the, the, the nitty gritty of the, because once I'm done with this conversation, I'm pretty much out. Like, I mean, I'll call the congratulate them once they go into contract. Um, but I'm pretty much out at this point. So, and by the way, you guys, as it goes back into the whole premise of this call, setting expectations, it's really about being able to create expectations based on the information that you're getting back from people, which it helps. I've just found the more real we are, the more upfront that I can tell someone, please understand you're incredibly important to us right now. This environment is a little crazy. We're normally at 24 hours on a pre-approval. And if something becomes incredibly urgent for you, We'll make it that way. But if it's not incredibly urgent, then we're probably more like at five to seven days, right? So to be able to create those expectations with people is super important. And for them to hear it come out of your mouth as opposed to an email or a text is also, I mean, to me, that's what creates the glue on the conversion. Hunter, at what point are you passing this LP2 notes on to the LP2 and to the realtor? You mentioned that you sent it to the realtor? Yep. Okay, so, and just so you know, what happened with me um, a couple years ago, uh, I was slammed. And I'm sure like you guys, you have these great business, you know, you've got business partners that you just tell anything to. You talk crap about the clients, if it's a bad client, blah, blah, blah. So I had one of those. And I was literally leaving the office and I didn't, I, I'd never sent this. This to me was a total internal document. So I was slammed. I wanted to get out of the office, and I forwarded it to Amy, and I just said, hey, Amy, I'm sorry. This is an internal document, um, but I don't have time. i got to get out of here, and here are the notes for the client. And she went ballistic. Like, she came back to me like, Hunter, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. So I started so, – so to answer your question, I can get a little long-winded sometimes. To answer your question, um, now I send the LP2 notes to Bridget. 
she saves them in client folder. So we have, you know, client folders with, you know, all of our clients and all their documentation. She puts that, puts that in there as LP2 notes. Um, and then I will turn around and I will forward that same form to the referral partner. And sometimes I'll clean it up a little bit. Like I won't, you know, if someone, if, if I wrote down that someone has a base salary of 280 or they make 13 bucks an hour or something like that, I'll take out the exact documentation on the income just because that's kind of personal. Um, but besides that, I just, I forward those notes. And when it's a new business partner, uh, I wish I could show you guys the, the, the responses that I've gotten from new business partners. And it absolutely, because if you think about it, you send that. Their existing business, their existing lender probably calls them and says, if they call them at all and said, Hey, I talked to, uh, you know, I talked to Jason. Everything looks pretty good compared to these LP2 notes that I'm talking about. So I'll just forward it on saying, Hey, here's the conversation that I had. Uh, just wanted to give you some feedback. There's not a bunch of fluff to it. It's literally just 12 bullets. I kind of like the way that it looks with it being 12 bullets. Um, so it's immediate. Uh, on the L goes to Bridget first and then it gets forwarded to the client, to the business partner. Uh, if the business partner is super close with me, I'll literally say, Bridget, here's LP2 notes and I'll copy in the business partner just to save myself an extra email. Um, and then the, the team members, the LP2s, once they're going, once all the documentation is uploaded and in the system and we are prioritizing it based on all of this information, right? Is it urgent? Do we like them? All that stuff. Um, as soon as they go to start working on the pre-approval, that's when they'll pull down the LP2 notes to look at uh, the information. Does that help? Yeah, totally. Sorry, I had to unmute myself. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, Hunter, so we've got some, new, some more questions in the chat box. Um, so in Francis wanted to know, can you share what you're doing for a follow-up? Yeah. Well, um, what do you mean for a follow-up? You mean like literally once, can we unmute that person possibly? Yep. Let me look. Can you share? Okay. So, oh, Nicole, um, can you share what you were doing for the follow-up? Uh, Nicole works with me. So Nicole, if you were talking about like, do Nicole, are you on mute or can you talk to me? Once you hand it off, my mic is not working. Okay. Um, the conversation looks like this. Um, John, great to talk to you. So I think it's worth moving forward if you feel good about this. Uh, the next steps would be I'm going to send you a link to our application. Uh, I'm going to, if there's any notes that you want me to add in there based on this conversation, I'm happy to do that. And then the follow-up will be once you get everything put into the system and uploaded and my team and I have the opportunity to review it based on the expectations that we talked about today. It doesn't sound like it's urgent, so we're probably looking at five to seven days. Once we have everything, Bridget will reach out and she will schedule another follow-up uh, Zoom meeting or phone call with either myself or Erica, my team captain, she's just as capable as I am to walk through the details. In that phase, we will go through the exact details of your cash to close, your down payment, your monthly payments, as well as any other information that we think we need to walk through with you, or if there's any clarifying questions that we have. How does that sound? And they say that sounds, I mean, they always say that sounds great. Uh, and then for me, quite frankly, it's very rarely me. It's always Erica, and Erica takes on the pre-approval call once I've converted it. So behind the scenes, the team, the LP2, it goes me. It goes LP2s, take down everything to uh, get it pre-approved. And then it is a follow-up phone call with Erica to walk through the details of the pre-approval. And then from that standpoint, they're in a holding pattern we touch base with them, we send them gifts, um, and we update the business partner. And then, you know, they're on a, a, a bit of a drip, although it's a fairly human feeling drip, uh, just to make sure we don't lose them while they're uh, in the pre-approval stage, which I also think is something we always need to look, look out for. There's no point in going through all this effort up front and not staying in contact with someone, even though we say we do, we don't. 
um, and then they go into someone else's open house and deal with that lender. So we always want to prevent that from happening. And Nicole, if you have any other questions, I'm always happy to answer them. Um, what else? How do you incorporate speed to lead with your team captain responding to a lead and then scheduling this call for your LP2 form review? How do you incorporate speed to the lead? Well, I think the speed to the lead is is coming from Bridget very quickly assigning, getting the person on the calendar. Um and that's and by the way, our markets are different, right? In the Bay Area, everything like there's no such thing in the Bay Area as a as a pre qualification. It just doesn't work. Any anything, everything we do is basically no loan contingencies, no appraisal contingencies. So we have to be, you know, fully pre approved, if not underwritten ahead of time. So it goes back to you know the speed of the lead is touching the lead. You're important to us. We're scheduling a call, right? Like that's the speed of the lead. The actual details we in my market we have to go slow to go fast. And I tell our I tell my clients that, which is if you want to, you know, this experience will be great if we play by the rules that we know work, which is to be very diligent up front, to go through everything up front, to make sure that we have all your documents that you understand cash to close, that you understand payments, that you understand anything else. So when you actually get into contract, it's a great experience. What my competition will have you believe, like if you try better.com or something like that, is that they'll whip out a pre-approval for you in five minutes. And then all of a sudden you'll go into contract and all hell will break loose. So we want to make sure that we're doing all of our due diligence up front, even if it takes a little bit longer, is that you know, are you okay with that? Do you understand that? And if people say, no, I need it done immediately, I mean, it, it, it sometimes it's just not the right client, right? I mean, I think you have to know, I know I say this all the time, but it's like you have to define your oyster. You got to know what your oyster looks like, and the world is not your oyster. Not every client needs to be yours. So people have to play. That's part of the expectations that I want to talk about on this call is people have to play by your rules. And every time, for me, um, Every time I break my rules, every single time I break my rules, I pay for it, right? I mean, how many people, like, you do something you said you weren't going to do, right? It's the Sunday night pre-approval. Okay, well, I'll write the letter, but this all sounds great. You go in on Monday, they're talking to their other lender again, or, I mean, it's just, it's a waste of time. So you got to have, um, you got to know what your rules are, and you got to play by them, and you got to have other people play by them, too, and your teams will respect the crap out of you for doing so. So hopefully that helps. What else? Hunter, I've got a question. Yep. Um, so I don't have in like a, well, I'm, I'm, so I'm a junior LO, meaning I don't have anyone directly under me. I don't have an LP1 directly under me. I've got a shared LP1. I've got a uh, shared LP2. And our specialist gal is the, yeah, loan officers. So my question is, with this process, knowing that I'm pretty much going to be the one taking the application and running to you, um, what for? If I were to implement this, would I just need to book more time with the client, or would I break it out into, hey, we'll do a quick call that way I have the speed to lead, and then schedule a follow-up appointment to tighten up a loan application? How would you suggest implementing that as? Uh, kind of like a one-man army, per se. Okay, so as it relates to the form, think about it like this, right? Your your realtor will love you for filling for having that form dialed in, for one. The other thing to think about is think three months from now when you've forgotten about the conversation with the person on those details that we talked about, and now you have that saved in a client folder and can go back and look at it to remember rem- to remember where you were with them. So whether or not, you know, I mean, if you can, I think you could tie that all into one loan app too. If you were a one person show doing it, I think you could take, you know, there's some magic sauce if you're doing the individual loan apps on incorporating, how do you take some horribly boring document and personalize it? So if you're taking the loan, the 1003 and you're able to get the answers to those questions, it's just a much bigger conversation than just taking a loan out, which has helped building credibility, building rapport with the person, and understanding, you know, whether or not it's a client you want to be working with. Does that help? That does. That does help. And, and I can also guarantee you this. Your L, so if you're on a shared team, 
it's all about like we're selling ourselves to our clients and to our team members. So if they're looking at three different loan agents, three of them, two of them are giving them, you know, half of half baked info, not understanding what's what you come in with this clean understanding of these LP two notes, hand it to the uh, LP one processor, whoever they're going to love you for it. Sweet deal. Thanks. Yep. Anyone else? Okay, so uh, Ryan Skaggs question. What do you do or say for clients to know they are not getting handed off to an assistant? What does it sound like to hand off to the next step? So um, I, you it's made a the great comment, Hunter. You, yeah, you had actually said it in your kind of answered it before. Is that like my assistant is well versed or something else, but just wanted if you use a different line or sometimes I get clients that you know feel like they're going to an assistant you know, and I'm handing them off. Yeah. And, and to me, it's always about clarifying what you're like, do people under, if you give people choices, first of all, two different things there. One is, and I agree with you. Like when I, when I say Erica, I, I do say uh, my business partner is going to follow up or myself, depending on our bandwidth. Um, but I can also, it's just about, setting expectations with people and always asking for permission and always giving people the choice. Right. So it's like my, uh, the way that I'm set up is I want to work with you to understand big picture, what you're doing. And then I have this unbelievable team that helps dot all the I's cross all the T's, make sure all the numbers are incredibly dialed in so that there's no frustration for you down the road. Um, before we even go further, are you okay talking to myself and one of my affiliates, right? So I'm getting, and if they say yes, then I'm in good shape. If they, I mean, just occasionally they'll say, no, Hunter, I really prefer to talk to you the whole time. Okay. You know, that, that it, it's, it's very rare that that happens. Um, but always just asking for permission. Like Bridget does the same thing when she's taking the loan out or not taking the loan out when she's scheduling the appointment. Hunter's in a meeting right now. Um, he's going to be excited to talk to you. I could jump into a loan app if it's super urgent, or we could just have Hunter call you at X amount of time, at X time today. What would you prefer? And when they feel like they're making the decision, it's just a, they're, they're, they're okay with everything. Cool. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. I can't move my, uh, are there any other questions on that? No, that is all right now. Okay. Um, Cool. So let me see here. Yeah, I said don't break your own rules. Everything I said is be honest with your turn times. Um, I mean, we are all people pleasers. So we want to, um, you know, we want to tell people that we can do stuff that we can't do. And it just doesn't serve the amount of times where I just I'm, I'm transparent with someone with what the actual turn times are. They're OK with everything. Um, and I, it just leaves me going, like, why didn't I just, you know, it, it's like locking the rates, right? I mean, when before we had a choice, it's like you're looking at three and an eighth and you tell them three. It's like, why do you do that? So just work on being transparent. Um, the other thing, you know, I said on, on decision, uh, making decisions based on, here's what I put down, clients' willingness to play by our rules, um, business partner relationship commitment to our business, so how committed do these, are these business partners to our business? Um, I know this sounds simple, you guys, but close date, is it a purchase? Is it a refinance? Um, this is more so, I would say, for your teams than it is for you. I called, um, I called Michelle, one of my great LP2s, a couple weeks ago, and she's literally crying, um, which doesn't make me feel great, but she's literally crying, and she just said, I have these five purchases, and they're all urgent and they all need to be done right now. And I just, yeah, I said, Michelle, let's take a step back. You can't do everything at one time. We know that. So let's just, let's just list them out. Let's just give me the five names of the ones you're talking about. Okay. Then we go, okay, what are the close dates? Okay. What are the, who are the business partners? Um, are they fully committed to us? And inside of five minutes, we were able to just go one, two, three, four, five. So I think our team members right now are, are rattled. So you need to help them prioritize and set the expectations. So 
um, make sure you have a process for how you prioritize. Again, it's us based on, you know, client just emailed us yesterday saying, um, we're going to go with you. We try to go with the other, other lender, but their turn times weren't as good. So we're going to stick with you. Just go ahead and lock. Kind of like, okay. And if I have to close late on one of these loans, it's going to be yours because you're not really committed to us. Um, so that's that. The last thing I wanted to talk about was conflict resolution with all that's happening right now. I'm sure like many of you, you're not telling everybody, uh, I'm not telling everybody that everything's perfect and every appraisal is coming in on time. Um, we're doing the best we can, but here's the thing with conflict resolution. Your clients and your business partners will rise to the energy and the, the, the energy and the emotions that you feed them. Um, and I think it's incredibly important that we talk to people with you. People have to know that you care and then people have to know that you own it. So to me, first of all, you never hide. You always make the call, not your team member. And the way I start when I'm delivering bad news, the way and I'm always just staring at Steven, so I can't help using, sorry, Steven, also means you have to pay attention the whole time because I'm staring at you. Um, but it's literally, Stephen, the first thing I want to tell you is that I'm sorry. I'm sorry this is happening. I don't enjoy this, and you're an incredibly important client to us, and I'm sorry. So I'm just going to start there. But to resolve the situation, this is what we need to do, X, Y, and Z. Do you have any questions for me, right? Like it doesn't give Stephen the, – the alternative to that is, Stephen, I am so – so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. My team, I'm so pissed off. I sent my CEO an email. I told them that we needed docs. I, all these excuses that just sound like crap. So just don't do it. When you're dealing with conflict resolution with your borrowers and your business partners, you apologize once, you keep your voice even, and you move on from the situation, and you make the call. You don't – like. If your team members or you are delivering bad news for the first time by email or by text, you suck. Like the amount of our job as salespeople and like the, the most important phone calls are not the Tuesday updates that the loan's closing on time and that everything's perfect. The most important phone calls are the ones to keep everybody on track, to help everybody understand that everybody's doing the best that they can, that you're doing the best that you can, and that you have a plan to resolve the situation. So I just think with like you either look like a rookie or you look like a pro and more so than us, we need to teach our team members to have these same conversations. We will literally, and it's a painful experience, but like if a team member does have to deliver bad news, we'll have like Eric and I, when we were, when her and I were first working together on this, she's my team captain, we would, we would role play. And then actually I would listen to her make a hard phone call, critique it. Right. She'd hear me make a hard phone call, critique it. And when you do that, like it, it just it's so incredibly important. I got on a phone call with one of my LP2s once and I heard them. I was I was the client didn't know I was on the phone and it was honestly just the worst thing I've ever heard. So you need to be crystal clear on what the messaging is that your team is delivering for people. And I would just say you need to be apologetic up front. You need to apologize once and then you just need to simply show up be a professional and get the job done. So um, that's it. I think, uh, you know what? I did have one example for it. So I think it's important. I wrote this down. Um, it's kind of funny. My, my wedding. So my wedding was in Denver 20 years ago. My bunch of my friends were on a 747 on the way back. I don't know why you had a 747, but um, you literally, the end, the plane went up, it came back down mechanical difficulties, which at that point for me, I'm personally off the plane, but plane goes back up. It's over the Rockies and an engine blows the left engine on the 747 full blown fireball. And the stewardess goes running up the aisle as fast as she can screaming. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. And literally like, so, so that, that was 20 years ago. And then last year we were coming home from our president's club trip. I wrote about Sunday Sunday thoughts and like the, there was such gnarly turbulence that, I mean, I was crapping in my pants and 
the 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 steward was looking at me and he could see that I was I mean I'm literally like scared and he looks at me and he just says everything's going to be okay I heard from the captain that the planes ahead of us are experiencing a lot of turbulence too it should last another 50 miles and then we should be okay and it just it makes me think about all of this and what we're doing you could run up the aisle screaming we're all going to die or you could look at someone in the eyes and say it's bumpy right now, but everything's going to be okay. So for me, the way that I, I work better when I think about different scenarios. So I just think of those two different scenarios. It's the same. I mean, granted, a engine blowing up would scare the crap out of me, but your job is not to panic and not to fly up the aisle screaming we're all going to die. Your job is to create calmness with the people that are dealing with the transaction. And if you handle it appropriately, it's going to be a much better outcome. So anyway, um, Questions. That is all the that's all the information I have for you guys. So please ask me. I got nothing else. Cynthia Solomon put in the chat. Um, if you are discussing pricing and loan structure, how best to handle these notes when the client is speaking with different individuals? Um, on your team, I, I, I suspect on your team. I'm going to assume yes. I would say this. If, first of all, I think sometimes that people that aren't on the sales side are better at locking loans and discussing rates than the people that are on the sales side because they just roll right through them. Um, but I would say if you're not the one that, if you're not the one locking loans and discussing rates, you better be crystal clear that the person that is knows how to handle it inside and out, which is the same thought process, which is non-emotional has an understanding of every fee, has an understanding of the interest rates, and is just absolutely matter of fact about it. You can't have someone, um, when I talked about my LP2, that was actually, and I stopped having LP2s lock loans, but that's what the conversation came, I, the one that I was listening to said, well, you know, like you could have four and a half with a, like a little bit of a credit, or, you know, you could go to 4.375 and you'd be paying uh, like a half a point, like with no explanation, I was like, oh, my God, as opposed to walking them through, here's the scenario, here's the return on the investment, this is why you choose this option, this is why you choose that option, what option do you prefer, and you move on. So as far as how I would handle it, I would be crystal clear that the person, if it's not you, that's discussing locking interest rates sounds confident and is clear and concise with the information that they're providing. That's what I would say. Anything else? Steven's in. After all this, you're not going to ask me a question. You're very informative, man. I think you covered a whole bunch. How are you selling? Uh, how are you handling seller complaints right now? If you're if you're late on a closing, I'm getting trashed right now for two, and it's just I'm like <sighs> offering to talk to everybody. I understand we're closing late. I understand there's concerns. I'm happy to talk to the seller. I view issues in one of two in two things. There's, there's underwriting concerns, which are scary, and then there's bandwidth and capacity concerns, which are not. It's just that I always use the example of the restaurant. You're incredibly important to us, but there are literally 200 people trying to get into a restaurant that serves 50, and it's not just us and it's not just our company. It's the entire industry. So I want you to understand that I'm not concerned about an underwriting issue at all, but I am telling you we're going to be closing four to five days late. This is my phone number. If you need to reach me for anything, please feel free to call me. I'm happy to, and I mean, I'm happy to jump on a call and I really do this. I'm happy to jump on a call with sellers. I'm always happy to talk to the listing agent. I'm always happy to make the hard phone call as well. You guys there? Um, sorry. This is important. Give the bad news. Tell your buying agent that you're the one that's happy to deliver the bad news. Because when you deliver more and more bad news, it gets easier and easier to deal with. And, I mean, be transparent, right? I mean, if someone's just a jackass to me, like they want to rip my head off, it could be like, hey, Stephen, like we can do this one of two ways. I absolutely want to get this closed, and I'm incredibly sorry that this is happening. At the same time, I'm proactively reaching out to you. So if you want me to continue to proactively reach out to you, you have to talk to me like a human. I like okay. that. that helps. It's, 
Yeah, it's it's like it's okay. Like you got to slap people around a little bit. It's like we're doing the best we can, people. You you got volumes five times what it normally is. So we're doing the best we can, including setting the expectations up front with, you know, I get my my realtor clients all the time. Hunter, uh, can we do a twenty one day close? It's like you can sign up for a twenty one day close, but I can promise you we're going to be begging for forgiveness. And when I call the listing agent to tell them what we're trying to do. I'm going to tell them that there's a likelihood, a high likelihood that we're going to need to extend if you don't give us 25 or 27 days to close so that everybody's always on the same page as opposed to going, oh, yeah, 21 days, no problem. I'll do it in my sleep, right? So, but that's be open. When you deliver, when you're willing to deliver the bad news for your buying agents, people don't like making hard phone calls. So when you're the one that's willing to do that, you become a hero in the eyes of your in, in the eyes of your referral partners. Right. I've been diving on the grenades. I think that the best thing that you said out of that was uh, the um, uh, the comments of how you're being proactive. And if you want me to continue to be proactive, just talk to me as a human. And so that that, yeah. that that line right there is going to pay dividends. Don't shoot me for don't shoot me for being proactive and not hiding behind an email, a text, or a voicemail. Right. Right. Awesome. Thank you. Sure, man. Anybody? You you never answered how much Chuck a woodchuck woodchuck if a woodchuck a chuck wood. I'm just I'm just saying that throwing that out there. I'm funding 37 million in October. Hey. How's that for a chuck wood a woodchucker? Winner. <laughs> winner winner. Um, I know my questions are always surrounded around processes and team structure, and I keep telling myself. I'm hiding behind that, and I'm saying, oh, I can't get to the next. I can't go after new agents until my business is 100% like structure. We have all our forms. We have all our checklists. But I'm going to get out of that. But since I have you on a, a call, I am. I have three new people who will be starting, and I'm nervous to death that I don't have them doing the right things. And so if you just want to run through what your team kind of looks like, I do know you said Bridget handles the calendar, she talks to everybody when they first come in, then the LP2s jump in there, work up that pre-approval, handle the client until they go under contract. And then that's when Erica takes it, right, when it goes under contract? Yeah. No, Erica Erica handles the pre-approval, and then when they go into contract, <laughs> locks, locks the loan, and then she's out of it too, and it's all, it's all the LP2s from contract to close. But to your question, I would say this. You know who, like, I'm assuming you know who you hired as it relates to LP1, LP2, front end, back end, admin, right? You know, they they have labels and they have names, but when it comes down to, okay, this person is starting and this is what you do on a daily basis every single day, this is how you'll be measured, that's where I get a little nervous and don't have with 100% clarity what each person is going to be doing. And everybody does stuff differently you know, so to get an understanding of what the winners are doing is kind of tough. Yeah, um, never easy, right? I think we all try to make it sound like it's so easy and it's not. Training's a, a challenge. Here's what I would say to you. I would, one of the better exercises I've heard of literally just in the last three months and for me in the last 10 years is what is it for that person's role? Like what are the top 10, 15, or 20 things that will make that person exceptional at the role that you hired them to do. Like literally write those out and it could be phone system. It could be how they want, how you want them to respond to your email. It could be how they calendar your times, but you write those down that the things that will make them exceptional. And then you literally start checking the box is what, like it gives you your training manual to train them on what they need to be trained on. I would, I would say that, I mean, I would start there. And then for me, it's just everything's on the ground training, right? Yeah. You listen to my sister right now. She's hired, I hired her. She's listening to me on these LP2 call, on these front end calls that I'm doing because on business partners that are further out that I don't do that much business with, that I just don't have the capacity for, I want her doing those conversions, right? So she listens to me three times and then I listen to her make the phone call and then I critique it. Um, if you have people, if they're LP2s, you have a LP2 that's doing, uh, uh, an LP2 that you currently work with that's 
on a Zoom call with them, and all they're basically doing is talking out loud as they're walking through through the pre-approval. And then you have the new LP2 just writing down 10 questions that they might have for the other LP2 with five minutes to spare. But that way the LP2, you're not taking that person off the line. All they're doing is articulating what they're doing. It helps the other person grow. I think I like that. Definitely. You listen to this and then you write down five to 10 questions and then let's go. Yeah. I like that. And by the way, I mean, daily team meetings, Q&A every single time. Um, I mean, I think people think of it as like arrogant to ask a question, but it's just like what's, what I just did with Steven, right? I mean, it's like if, if you just make sure that people are asking questions, making sure that you have a daily team meeting, those are really simple, basic things, but people are just insane not to have, especially when you got new people, not to have a daily team meeting with a set agenda that, that finishes with asking a question at the end of every meeting. I mean, Rick does it to us as coaches. So um, that would certainly be advice I would give you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Hunter. Of course. All right, party people. Let's see Jason Croston in the Bahamas. That looks good. Um and that's all I see. So, everyone, we're good. It's 1 o'clock on my time. I hope this was okay. And uh, they've got the LP2 notes. So, good luck with everything. And if you ever need me, just reach out. Thanks, Hunter. All right, you guys.